Hello, everybody. This is Courtney Stanley, and welcome to another exciting episode of Dare to Interrupt, a listening experience where you have the opportunity to sit in on honest, unfiltered conversations with women who are considered to be the most influential, inspiring, and innovative women in the world of events, hospitality, business, and beyond. Throughout their careers, these leaders have dared to interrupt conversations, their own comfort zones, and sometimes even societal norms to hustle toward their greatest levels of success. I am so, so excited to introduce you to today's guest. We are joined by Tracy Leperulo, founder and CEO of Untraceable Events. It's so great to have you here today, Tracy. Where are you joining us from? I'm joining from Toronto, Canada. Shout out to my former (laughs) homeland. How are things in Toronto? They're great. They're great. Um, Events are, you know, not kicking yet, but uh, we're excited to to get the ball rolling here. Yeah. Yeah. That's super exciting. Yeah. I've had a couple pending events for this fall in Toronto and it seems like it's just not quite time yet. So I'm hoping in 2022, I'll make my way back over there. Excited. Yeah. So you and I actually had the opportunity to work together for a little bit in the world of event technology a few years back. And that was a you know, that was a fun adventure. It was great to work with you in that capacity and get to know you. But now you're making huge waves in the world of cryptocurrency, which I admit I know very little about. Can you just share with me and with the audience more about what your company, Untraceable Events, does? Absolutely. So like you mentioned, I've always been really into the technology side of events. Uh, I definitely took it to another level uh, when I actually grew my company. So my original company was called Traceable. It focused on very traditional events. And then I went full into the cryptocurrency and blockchain space with my new company called Untraceable. And since 2013, I've been building uh, conferences, training sessions, hackathons, workshops all around growing the community and the ecosystem around cryptocurrency. What's really exciting about the things that we do is we don't just discuss it at our events, but we actually use the technology right on site. I mean, how did you get into this? Your space is super niche, which I admire because I feel like that's one of the hardest things to actually hone in on as an entrepreneur and as a business owner. But how did you choose to get into this particular field? You know what? It kind of is a bit about fate, quite frankly. In 2013, um, I was in Toronto. It's actually... Um, around the time me and you were kind of working together as well. And I heard something about Bitcoin. And so I actually went to Kenya. I started a microfinance program there and I realized how hard it was to send money over borders. And so I started researching, well, what other ways can you send money over borders that wasn't in a traditional sense and learn about Bitcoin? And so in Toronto, there was a house called Bitcoin Decentral, where it was like an incubation space for anything to do with cryptocurrencies. And if you can imagine at the time, it was, it was really just Bitcoin. There wasn't anything else there. I actually ended up going there as a volunteer and sitting in the room there with, with all 100% male-dominated room. Uh, and they said, hey, we should plan an event. And so I put my hand up and I said, hey, I, I have an event background and experience. You know, I'll volunteer to run the first Bitcoin Expo in Canada. And from there, as everyone knows, listening to all this, being the event organizer, you really just dive into every aspect of it. So I knew what sessions and what topics were talked about. I knew all the speakers. I knew what companies were sponsoring. So which ones had money in the space. And so I just got catapulted into this Bitcoin world uh, very quickly by running Canada's first Bitcoin Expo. At the time, it was out about 800 attendees. And so it was the largest Bitcoin conference in the world back in 2013. And uh, from there... 
I got really well known in the space because, you know, everybody wants to talk to the event organizer. Right. <laughs> uh, so where everyone's trying to reach these speakers, these speakers are reaching me. Where do I go? Where's my session? I was quite young at the time. And, uh, and then from there is a rabbit hole. So where I actually started uh, that Bitcoin Decentral is actually where uh, a project called Ethereum started out of. And so it was part of the original group of the Ethereum team, really helping them um, get their first exposure at the Bitcoin conference and then help build their network out from there. So uh, it was a bit lucky, but a lot of it had to do with me putting my hand up uh, and using my event talent to really get myself into the space. Okay. There are so many things that I want to dive into <laughs> that you just said. First and foremost, that you just went to Kenya and yeah. started this microfinance program oh, yeah. or initiative. And it was actually when we were in close contact with each other, yeah. literally working together and that kind of thing. That also points to, I believe, the little truth and the, <laughs> the reality that most entrepreneurs start out as side hustlers and yeah. are always doing things behind the scenes that you just can't see. And all of a sudden they come out of the, the dark and they're this huge, awesome, <laughs> yeah. badass entrepreneur. So tell me, let's back up for a second. Tell me more about the projects that you were working on in Kenya. Yeah. So I went to Kenya. I went three times. Actually, the first time I went there was just more of a needs assessment. We went to a local community and said, what kind of initiatives can we bring here as students to help out? Um, and that's what we learned about a microfinance program because you could help women entrepreneurs on the ground. I would give out $100 microloans to them. So it was a very similar to like a Kiva model, uh, mm -hmm. but we would implement also financial literacy aspects. So allowing them to understand where they're budgeting, saving. What we did is there was um, an AIDS group that went across 23 villages there. And so the AIDS group ended up, their funding stopped. Uh, so we actually took over that network. And so we created a lot more of like a, a train the trainer model. So we would train women entrepreneurs to teach about financial literacy to other groups. And so we were across 23 villages at the time. So it got, it got quite big, but the trick was when I came back to Canada, how do you send a hundred dollar micro loan when they take $30 fees from you? Mm -hmm. It literally defeats your whole project. So, you know, you know how much a hundred dollars can mean to one individual, but now Western Union is taking $30 of that. Uh, and that got me in a rabbit hole of there must be better ways to send money across borders that are more sustainable. How do you get um, quicker, faster uh, to grow this network? And, and that's how Bitcoin happened for me. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Give a woman a problem and she'll find a solution. That is for <laughs> sure. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about being the only woman in the room. So you mentioned that when you were first starting out, you were in a room, you were the only woman there, and you were the one to raise your hand and, and really offer something that was super valuable and provided a solution that the people were looking for, that, that they were asking about. So, I mean, what was that experience like? What, were, did you feel like you were in the right place at the right time? Did you feel intimidated being a young woman in a space with all men? What yeah. was that experience like? Definitely intimidating. Um, you know, cryptocurrency in today's age is, is confusing. So you can imagine seven years ago when there wasn't as much to read about it. Um, I, I wasn't only just the female in the room. I had bright pink hair. <laughs> so right. I showed up. <laughs> so I showed up. Uh, I actually said, okay, I'll do this conference. Let me put a volunteer group together. And I put it out to the community. There was meetups that were running. And there was about 35 males and myself sitting in a circle. And I got there and I remember running there with an agenda and being extremely nervous because uh, there were men of all ages. And, you know, when I started the meeting, I was panicked, <laughs> too, frankly. Couldn't believe I was there. I didn't want to misspeak. I, I felt like I didn't know enough about the space to be there. Um, but then, you know, I want to try and tell others, you 
you have to just take that step forward and realize in the whole room, I'm also the only expert in events here. I know this better than anyone else and I'm going to work harder than anybody else. And so I just kept going back every week. Some weeks I hated it. Um, I felt like I was overshadowed, but what's great about events is when the actual event comes, you know, I was definitely in the spotlight of, Oh, she, she knows what she's doing. And, mm-hmm. um, in that sense, it was, it was really good, but I, I definitely, you know, I was a female in the space with pink hair. I didn't have a background in technology. I didn't have a background in finance or economics. I just knew events and I knew events really well. And so I said, if I can bring what I know to events to the table, this is how I'm going to make a name for myself. Uh, and I kept with it. And so, um, yeah, if any advice for any other woman out there is to stick with what you know and go into a scary space, but you're the expert in it. So mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. loved about it. Yeah, I definitely have had experiences that are similar to that. And I have found that what's happened to me in the past in my mental space is that I get in my head and create this narrative that everybody in the room is more something, more experienced, they have more to offer, they're, you know, whatever, they're on a different level that I'm not on. And I've realized over, you know, over the years and just raising my hand for more things and really owning my my space and my expertise is that everybody has flaws. Everybody has gaps in their knowledge where they need other people to step in and share what they know so that, you know, you can actually be functional as a team and meet the goals of whatever you're trying to accomplish. But it's interesting because I feel like that happens to a lot of people, mm-hmm. you know, maybe women specifically where we step into these rooms and we have, we maybe have a seat at a table and that's awesome and really, really important, especially for future women that come up and and ask for those seats around those tables. And I think what happens is that women sometimes will hold themselves back. You know, they'll be afraid to pick up the clipboard and to raise their hand because they feel like maybe they aren't necessarily the most qualified people in the room, which is obviously getting into kind of, you know, what imposter syndrome is and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like there were specific challenges that you faced over these past handful of years as you've been climbing in this particular industry and you've really been making a name for yourself as this this female founder, this woman who has really changed the game in terms of cryptocurrency events and that kind of thing. Have there been challenges that you have faced that you look back on and you've really seen a lot of growth or you've seen lessons learned? Oh, absolutely. Um, I would say it got even harder as the space grew. So later on, I started to get into capital markets and and something called security tokens. So if you could imagine uh, cryptocurrency, but having to do with stocks and bonds and derivatives. So this got even deeper into the male space. uh, And people were coming from Wall Street and coming from um, you know, the stock markets speaking all this lingo that I had to re-educate myself completely on. Um, I would say that was probably one of the lowest parts of my career where I felt, Hey, am I supposed to be here? Like you said, imposter syndrome, like, do, do I even know, um, what we're talking about anymore? Uh, but you know, every single time I face and overcome a challenge, I just, uh, pushed me farther said, I, I, if they can learn it, I can learn it. If this person can do it, there's no reason why I can't. Um, and you learn from it and then you go and you teach other people about it. And so I think a really big thing that I promote in my events is if you don't know something, ask a question, and ask, but more importantly, answer questions. So help all these new people in the space answer all their questions they have because blockchain technology specifically is incredibly confusing uh, and there's always new people coming into the space. And so it's important for people who are knowledgeable to, to, um, to train people and you know, answer questions when they have them. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And something that you mentioned before is, I mean, really one of the turning points for you and this whole, you know, these last eight years or so that you've been hustling in this space, one of those game-changing moments was just raising your hand and yeah. taking a risk and taking that first step forward. And a lot of conversations that I've had with people in the events industry and in the hospitality and tourism space is that they are interested in potentially starting their own businesses. You know, we've seen we've seen the events industry really really struggle throughout the pandemic and a lot of people ended up, you know, out of work and that left people with the opportunity to really think about what it was that they wanted to do and also, you know, do they want to depend on being employed by somebody else or do they want to build something on their own that they have a little bit more control over. Mm-hmm. So, one of the questions that people have asked me over this past year and a half is is this really a good time to start a business given, you know, the instability and unpredictability of the future of events? What would you say as an entrepreneur and as somebody who has really, I mean, just blossomed and thrived and exploded over these past few years? I think um, it's always a scary time to start a business. This might not be the most popular opinion in the sense of going all in, Um you know, there's a great book by Arlene Dickinson called All In that, that got me to do that at one point. But for a majority of my career, it was a side hustle. And it allowed me to pivot and make bigger risks than I probably could if it was just my sole income. And so I would say, you know, it's such a who knows what the future has to hold with COVID-19 and the events industry. But I think it's always never a bad time to start a business, um, necessarily jumping both feet in and putting a lot of, you know, money behind it might not be the best time. Uh, but definitely as a side hustle, like right now, obviously a big portion is the virtual side, the event technology side. I think it's rapidly changing um, by the second, but I, I do think eventually people realize that you need those in-person events. Um, so the other thing to think about is international, what countries, I know that's where we're looking at a lot now with our company is um, what countries are allowed, you know, don't have the vaccine passport or make it really easy for guests to arrive there or have a lot of flights. Um, what I've done since COVID is I've acquired a lot more supplies and equipment from companies. So where a lot of companies have come to ask to be uh, bought out by myself, uh, I've either acquired like pieces of their company or I now have quite a few storage units of rentals and things <laughs> like that. <laughs> uh, so there's, there's opportunities on that side of it. Um, but I have noticed a lot of event companies also closing. So it is a good time, I would think, to also, you know, to open up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that I agree with you on the side hustle part. And maybe it's because that's the path that I also walked was just really starting to explore just little bits of things that I enjoy doing and trying to just side hustle more and more and more and more until I got to the point where I was in a place where I felt that I was stable enough and I had built up enough momentum to be able to actually take that full leap into the yeah. world of entrepreneurship. But yeah, I, I know some people are like, just do it, take the jump, you know, and that's, I I think there are lessons to be learned on either side of the fence, but I can definitely yeah. say uh, for me personally, you never know as much as you think, you know, um, there's always, always, always more to learn and there are always going to be curveballs too. You know, like I launched my business right before the pandemic began. And fortunately for me, even though yes, you know, pretty much all of my contracts canceled and it was like a very 
unpredictable, challenging time to start a business. Fortunately for me, I had spent those previous eight years building up my network and my brand. And there there were opportunities for me to be able to shift in different ways that allowed me to survive as a brand new business owner. But I think there are different types of risks that come with whether you decide to side hustle or you just go full force. I think the most important thing is to just try something, you know, mm-hmm. just to, even if it's a small step, try something that makes you curious and that excites you and see how it actually turns out. And a lot of a lot of the things that I have, you know, tried over the past year and a half as we have been shifting and we've been pivoting is I've realized that there are actually things that I thought I wanted to do more of that I don't want to do more of. So I think it's also entrepreneurship is very flexible. Um, yeah. I think that there's always a lot of opportunity to change directions and to refocus what you really want to be doing and how you're spending your time. Most definitely. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I think the... Um... The side hustle really worked well for me. You do it until you can't do it anymore. It's just so yep. obvious that you have to <laughs> put all your weight behind it. But uh, all most successful projects I've done have started as a side hustle because I was able to be a bit more creative, a bit riskier, you know, sometimes volunteer my time for certain aspects when it was all full about money. You just couldn't take those risks. Mm-hmm. What do you wish that you had known at the beginning of even side hustling, side hustling or going, you know, full-time as an entrepreneur? What are some of the things that you just wish that you'd known from the beginning? Oh, so I, I was at the top few things that I would say anybody early on should do is get an accountant. (laughs) This is a very tactile thing. (laughs) Get an accountant early on. It saves you a lot of money later on. Um, Figure out your website, but it doesn't have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. I think people um, always stress over their website. It's never nice. Um, and find some really good mentors. This, uh, I'm always a believer smart people learn from their mistakes, but smarter people learn from others. And so if you can surround yourself with successful entrepreneurs, um, then you just learn from what, what they need because there's so many, so many stories I could say of things I wish I knew. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, But um, yeah, I I find, you know, at the beginning, building the foundation of your business is important because when you do explode, especially in events, like the event business, it's like you get to an event and like your whole life is on pause. Like it's just just running. Uh, And then you forget about kind of the foundational stuff like your social accounts and your website and your business model. And like I said, your accounting and your receipts, where do all your receipts go? So getting all that stuff in place early on. So that when you take on an event, it's much smoother and you can focus on the client and not so much on yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the so I'm still a team of one, which as you know, I'm sure you started in that place before too. Yeah, it, you're literally doing every job of a full company. So you're doing <laughs> you're doing the accounting, you're doing the marketing, the sales, the execution, the strategy, the anything and everything you're responsible for. So it's funny when people ask me like, what does a typical day look like for you? I'm like, uh, I mean, pick the role in the company and it's probably going to change hour to hour, day to day. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it's I think it's important to get that foundation set and in, and in place. And I also think your advice on website hit the nail on the head. Like people, <laughs> myself included, will, I mean, you will struggle with feeling like your website is complete. So just yeah. make sure <laughs> it's like <laughs> good enough and then yeah. get it out and then you can exactly. tweak it. 
And I think I don't think there is a, a day that goes by where I'm like, oh, I need to change that on the website. So exactly. I think that's great advice. <laughs> and, pe- and people, people are like, I have my business and launch it because my website's perfect, right? So it's just, yes. just get it out and keep at it and know that everybody hates their website. So you know, yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> but then you get people who tell you how great it is, and you're like, yeah. oh wow, okay, so maybe yeah. it's actually not that bad. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're totally right. I mean, that was something that I sat on during my side hustle phase, and I knew that I had to get my website up when Mm -hmm. I officially launched. Like you have to be able to send somebody back somewhere to get more information. You have to have those things in place. But I sat on it for years. I I owned a domain and I owned an account on Squarespace for I think three or four years before I just bit the bullet, hired somebody to execute and worked with them to just get it done. Yeah. Anything that's graphic design always makes you feel more a bit more real. Yes. Like like, get your business card out. You feel like, okay, now, um, you know, that becomes a moment where it feels real for you, a website, um, social media accounts, you know, early on, get the same handle for everything. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a big mistake people typically make. They'll say, you know, for example, um, think of it, I always think of it as a retractable banner at an event. So you want one handle, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Telegram, WhatsApp, whatever it is, because uh, people always have, you know, Tracy Inc. and then Tracy HQ and, then you know, all these different ones for each channel. Um, and then the other one is just like, just don't drown in software. That's a big problem. I think a lot of startups have is they get too much software nowadays. Um, so pick your top five pieces of software and, and don't derive from it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very tactile. Thing. But there are so many things. That's the, yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. That's it yeah. speaks to my, my earlier point about there just being so much that you don't know. You don't know yeah. that you don't know. Yeah. And you're not going to yeah. know until you get into it and learn the lessons and that kind of thing. But yeah. I think talking to people like you is really, really helpful because even if it seems easy peasy, you know, this is super tactical and it's a little thing to check off the list, yeah. it saves somebody else so much time. So that's, yeah. I think it's important to have those conversations with mentors like yourself. Thanks. So, I mean, what has, looking back at your career as a whole, what do you feel like has been the greatest challenge that you've faced throughout your career? So the biggest challenge... Of it being in a very dominated space, um, is at that moment where I decided to to fully go all in with Untraceable. And so by all in, it was always a side hustle. I was always doing events for clients. And so I always had someone else to kind of um someone else's vision I had to execute on. And there was a certain point in my career where I said, I'm so sick of hearing my clients say they want this or that at the event when I knew what was right for it. Uh, So I decided to run my own event itself. So it became the largest event in Canada called Futurist Conference. Uh, And this would allow me to do everything from end to end. Uh, And it also allowed me to hire a lot of my team. And so hiring a team is definitely a big step in um, in my business. Um, But yeah, that's probably one of my, one of the hardest moments in my career, one of the greatest moments in my career. Was there something that happened that pushed you in the direction to take that leap and go all in? Yeah, I I was sick of people thinking they knew more about events than I did. <laughs> <laughs> in crypto specifically. No, I I um I really wanted to bring technology on site to an event and I couldn't really convince clients that it was worth it for them as an ROI, but on an educational and experience it was. Um, there was also this incredible venue in Toronto that I absolutely love called Rebel Entertainment. It's a mega nightclub. Uh, and I tried to have other clients host events there and nobody wanted to. They didn't see the vision. And so uh, I ended up doing it myself. So it was, you know, the largest down payment I ever put on anything. I had 
no backers or clients that would pay for anything. So I had to fundraise everything myself. Um, and we had about 3000 people there the first year. Um, just mess massive. If you ever see photos, lights and staging of it and the cabana. And so it was a, it was a cool experience, but the coolest part that I liked was I brought blockchain on site. So I'll give you an example. You could have picked up any of the fruit at the conference an apple and orange, a pear, not orange, um, plums and apples and you could actually track from what part of the field it was to the table so you could actually track farm a table on something called the blockchain and so it was really cool it was very immersive i could never convince a client to do that i'm like oh we got to track our apples (laughs) but it was important to me so (laughs) that is awesome (laughs) yeah (laughs) and now i'm picturing this whole like garden of eden adam and eve kind of situation this just like super mysterious venue dark lit it was yeah and it um we gave every yeah we just we we brought my believer is in order to change, so it's called Futures Conference. So we built it, it as like a future world. So no single-use plastics, inclusive bathrooms, um, anything that you can imagine that help with sustainable development goals we had on site. We made sure that it was inclusive, that anyone from children were invited to it and areas for them, and the seniors were invited to it. And so uh, leading up to this event, I would run events specific to developers or specific to financial, uh, you know, fintech audience or specific to... Uh, let's say lawyers. And I was like, we need an event that everyone comes together, like a digital playground where everyone, um, because in order to create the world that you want, everyone does need to work together. And so the, the line that I believe is in order to change the world, you have to change events because life is just a series of events. And so as event planners, if we can become more environmentally sustainable, if we can become more inclusive, we can ideal and use blockchain technology, of course, was, was our angle, then we can mimic this into the real world and make a better world for ourselves. And so that was, um, it was a hard sell to people. So I finally said, screw it, I'm going to go do it myself. And I did. And it was, it was the best move I've ever made in my, in my life. That is amazing. Have you, so have you done this event more than once now? Yeah. So we did it twice Okay, and then, and then COVID hit. Um, okay. Oh no! Then the third time we did it virtual, which which was great. So we got an audience now of ten thousand people virtually. But uh, we're hoping to bring it back whenever we can, or maybe move it somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's super cool. I definitely want to come. So whenever the next one is, <laughs> you're a speaker for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I I'm curious about. So I, I love that you talk about the necessity to change events in order to change the world. I think that's it's just I love that love 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 mm-hmm. that concept. <laughs> What do you think people need to be changing about their events? Because we, I mean, you know, I know we've gone to a billion events over the years, a billion conferences, tons of networking experiences, that kind of thing. I mean, if you could encourage event professionals to change a few things about their events moving forward, so let's say like 2022 and beyond, what would be the things that you would encourage them to consider changing? Well, I think the the biggest one, most obvious one is the environmental impact. That mm-hmm. always got me. Years ago, I realized that uh, I ran uh, one of the largest events for World Pride in Toronto, and they wanted bottled water. And I was just appalled with how many bottles came out of you know a uh, two-day event. And so ever since then, I've made it um, a mandate at my events. No single-use plastics. Everything reusable as much as you can. Uh, and just uh, if, if not, then compostable and biodegradable. So everything from the name badges to anything you can imagine on site. Uh, I think because – yeah, events in the environmental impact needs to be looked at right away. Mm-hmm. It's hard for people on a budget. Uh, the other side is making it inclusive 
for everybody on site at the event. Uh, like for Futures itself, it's a different concept because it's almost like a festival. So it really is open to the public. Obviously, that's very different for, let's say, corporate or private events. Um, but just making it um, accessible for anyone. What I do at every event is I have an ask, ask an expert booth where I staff it with all these volunteers that can help answer questions. Just so people, when they come into the event, feel like it's a safe place that they can answer. Um I think inclusive bathrooms are quite important. I know, and I think just like using technology on site um, to help facilitate some of these is, is is important as well. The other thing that we do is we always give out free, and a lot of events do this, you know, free tickets to underprivileged, anyone who can't afford a ticket is able to come to the event and things like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited to see what you create in the future. <laughs> I really am. I'm like, what is this? What is the future of untraceable events? What is that going to look like? Wow. Yeah, TBD. To TBD. be determined, my friend. I'm so excited, we've talked about we've talked about the challenges. We've talked about some of the lessons learned. I mean, what's been what's been the most joyful moment of your career, or what's been the thing that you have felt the happiest to accomplish? I guess um, being able to hire a team is a really big monumental moment for sure in a company. At one point, I had a team of fifteen employees full time. Uh, which is a struggle in itself, but definitely seeing just the growth of the people that join the team um, and then being happy when they leave the team too. So they've grown and you can be a good reference to it. And I think that's important that a lot of people as startups, you have to understand people join your team, they're not going to be there forever. Uh, and that's okay. That's the point. That's um, this is a stepping stone for other people as well. So creating that stepping stone for a lot of my employees that came in have been really great. Um, I, I've actually hired a lot of friends that came, that came through the company and, I'm pretty proud that, you know, we're still friends. <laughs> it's all, <laughs> all great because that's a challenge in itself. But um, yeah, uh, you know, I got to a point to my um, my now husband actually left his company. He worked at a, he was a senior executive at a big bank. He actually left to work for my company, which is a whole other That's uh, a whole other story. podcast. That's a whole yeah. other podcast. <laughs> but that's been, uh, it's been a joy too, to be able to grow and to, to share in the experience with people that you love. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how do you want to be remembered when people do leave your company? How, what type of leader do you want to be known as? One that allows people to make mistakes, you know, to try new things. Um, just encourage people to push their boundaries, you know, just try something different. You know, it's a, when you're in a startup, you, you have the choice of doing things you might not be able to do in a corporate uh, setting. So um, I try and make it a fun experience for everybody. And yeah. Well, I think that you're doing a good job, my friend. <laughs> All right. So if you could share one final piece of advice with other women in the industry or just in business in general, what would you say? I would say be bold. So fate favors the bold. It's one of my favorite quotes. Um, no matter who you are and what your passion is and what kind of personality you are, just be bold about it. Because I think, you know, if you stay true to yourself, you're, you're, you never regret the decisions you made. You never regret how you responded to things. Um, and so just be bold because bold is beautiful and, and faith, faith favors it. So um, be bold and be fearless. I love that. I'm going to take that away and just yeah. make it my mantra for the rest of my life. <laughs> 
<laughs> Thank you so much, Tracy, for sharing your insight and all of your wisdom. So, so much wisdom with everybody today. And thank you all for listening. Share what you learned from this episode with me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram by following at Meetings Today and me at Courtney on Stage. And be sure to never miss an episode by subscribing to Dare to Interrupt on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and more. Be genuine, be bold, and keep daring to interrupt, my friends. Until next time.